The following podcast contains spoilers and language that our mothers would prefer we did not use. Like, mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. We're back. We're back and we're about to hit play on Alien 3 as we continue our journey through the Alien and Predator franchises. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's fair to say that we've got, we don't have any more peaks to expect, do we? I don't want to say too much. <laughs> I think you and I have spoken about all of the films coming up and I know that we both at least think they're all pretty good. <laughs> Not everything coming up do I think is pretty good, no, but I'll put it out there now. I like this next movie. <laughs> That's what I was getting at. I like this too, yeah. but but we're, we're past the heights of Alien. I don't think we have any more peaks to come. Well, no. No. Yeah, I, I quite enjoy this movie. Now, you, you've, you've got the extended edition of this, yeah? Yeah, so we're about to watch- and we'll we'll speak about this in in a moment. We're about to watch the assembly cut. Yes, not the director's cut. There's no such thing. <laughs> there is a distinction there. Um, all right, so let, let's hit play on it. Let's do it. So that's Alien Three: The Assembly Cut, um, yes. which I I wouldn't realize this until well, not only a long time after first having seen the film, but a long time after having been. Uh, a devotee of David Fincher, yeah. that this is the feature film debut of one David Fincher. I actually still didn't realise this was his debut. Is that for real? He was, a, he was a music video dude. He was arguably the music video guy. Yeah. A uh, big time commercial director as well. And then did this in what is considered one of the all time clashes between artist and studio. Yeah, I mean, that actually makes this story even more interesting if this was his debut to have that kind of a clash with the studio because you would think that most first-time directors would be very eager to please. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, he I guess he really, really believes in his art then. Um, I mean, stories from the set of this are legendary. Yeah. Um, well, the whole reason there's no director's cut is that- they He refused. The, yeah, they called all the directors and he was like, nah. Nope. <laughs> and part of his reasoning, there's two parts. One is that- as far as he was concerned, this relationship was soured at the time and was never coming back. Yeah. And he just wanted nothing to do with them. Even, yeah, years after the fact. A big cooling off period and he was still like, no, blow it out your ass. And another reason, though, and this is quite reasonable, is that he said, well, it's impossible for me to make a director's cut, really, because I wasn't allowed to shoot the movie that I wanted to make. So the yes. director's cut of this film does not exist. The level of frustration- that Fincher felt with this production extended to him quietly hoping that the film would be lost in a fire during the LA riots of 1992. <laughs> um, he, he Apparently there was a very real chance that he was not going to direct another film. Yeah, right. This experience was that bad. Wow. <laughs> I do believe, though, that even though he refused to be involved, he did actually give this cut his blessing after the fact. And I think it was mainly- It was it was the editor who ended up putting this together, was it? Yeah. Not? So, what, what we've watched is called the assembly cut, and that's what it is. It was the initial assembly cut put together initially from- It's just the first look at, okay, what's this thing going to be? And then before you get into the nitty gritty of the edit and whatever, which- didn't really happen because because studio meddling. And yeah. we, we've talked about this before, that studio interference has a bad name. And a lot of the time, that bad name is well-earned. 
and this definitely seems like one of those times. Sigourney Weaver's been vocal about the fact that she is definitely Team Fincher yeah. in terms of the conflicting visions for this film. Um, on the yeah, it's but uh, sometimes studio interference isn't as black and white as it sounds because I've said this before. Wouldn't you love some studio meddling with the Star Wars prequels? <laughs> <laughs> so, I just want to get this out of the way. I know that we both have already said that we quite like this film. Uh, I've actually only ever seen the assembly cut. I have right. not seen the original Aliens 3. I didn't see it at the cinemas. I, I, I just, I've never seen it. So, you've never seen the xenomorph from a dog, which is no. what happened in the, th- in the theatrical cut. The xenomorph comes from that dog, not the right. boy. <laughs> Okay. But the studio was like, dogs are cooler and scarier than bulls. <laughs> That's not true in any sense of the words. Like, I know the words you're saying, but they don't make sense together. Bulls are always scarier than dogs. Well, I'm dogs. sorry. It's it's not even a bull. It's not a bull, is it? It's a yeah. It's kind of what is it? It's a they've got a they've got a name. Well, I'm, not, I'm not a zoologist. <laughs> mate. It's a creature. Yeah, it's a bull-like creature. Um. Anyway, through all of the crap of this. Yes, deeply flawed film. I like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right, getting into it. There's This is a movie that was, even though, like, the gap between Aliens and Alien 3 is not huge, um, certainly smaller than Alien and Aliens, but in the time in between, a lot of versions of this, of a script for this film came and went. Some of them didn't even feature Ripley. Yeah, right. Um and then the one there was, I mean, there's a lot of iterations of it. There's the, there was one that kind of got close to this version, which was a monk planet, hence no weapons, which yeah. kind of then eventually became this, the prison. Yeah. Um, which as, as a setting and as an idea is great. Yeah. It's like you get, even though, like you say, this still isn't the film that Fincher wanted to make. And I think you can tell that. And even though this film, I don't think actually reaches the depths of what it wants to, I think that's a cool idea. And you can see where the premise was going with the prison. Do I think it it fully- I don't think it gets as gritty yeah. as it wanted to get. Yeah, where, where you imagine that then going. And, th- and the film, it, it dips its toe in this but you wouldn't say it's completely realised, is ultimately what's the biggest threat? Ultimately, what's the bad guy? Is it the xenomorph? Is it us? That's right. Yeah. That's wh- that's where you think that it's going to be going. Yeah. yeah. Tell you one great thing about this film. Newt's not in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> know. Oh, I think that is one of the smartest things they did, is to just not- e- They don't even show Newt's death. It, there's no fanfare about it. It's just, oh, that little kid? Yeah, she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, like, it's as happy as I am that she's not in this movie. It's a pretty thoughtless and lazy way of just like the movie starts <laughs> really and she's, and, and yeah, they're gone. Yeah, she's <laughs> dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hicks, one of the heroes and potential, like there was definitely sparks between Ripley and Hicks yeah. in Aliens. Yeah, he's gone. Um, there was one version of this of a, a script for Alien Three where Hicks is the main character. Oh, really? And then at the end of the film, they're like, "We need to get her," and she's because she's like just been up in orbit the whole time. Yeah. And then at the end of the film to set up Alien Four, it's all right. We need Ripley, which <laughs> actually is a pretty sick idea. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I forget how do they explain their deaths. 
And um, how is Ripley still alive then? There, there was a face hugger in in the ship that somehow left Ripley alive. <laughs> well, because she's impregnated. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So you don't want her dead. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Quite frankly, who cares how Newt got off? We're just happy it happened. Yeah. Elsewhere in the cast, a young, somewhat dashing Lannister. Yes. You know, I love me some Charles Dance. Charles Dance is a- Who, for most of- For a lot of this film, so long as he's in the story, he's quite a central character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then 66 minutes in, (laughs) not unlike Tom Skerritt in Alien, who seems like he is going to be, if not the central hero, definitely a central hero- Bang, dead. Yeah, I, w- I was shocked when Dance got offed. Clemens, I mean, Clemens is kind of set up as probably, I think, maybe a better comparison is not Skerritt from Alien, but Hicks from Aliens. Yeah. He's probably set up more as the Hicks of Alien 3 and then bang, dead in just a great scene mm. where we get arguably the greatest shot in any Alien film Ever made the profile shot? The profile shot when yeah. the xenomorph comes right up to Ripley. You know what the crazy thing is? That shot is so iconic. I think that most people forget that that shot isn't until Alien Three. Like when you think of when I think of Alien, there are two things I think of. The first thing is the poster for Alien, which is that green egg in space. Mm-hmm. The second is that shot, that profile shot right up against her, the spit dripping out of its mouth. You like I think most people forget how late that is in the franchise. Yeah. And I remember like the first time I saw this film and it, like I said this is the first alien film I saw. And I was utterly terrified. Yeah. I was like because these things this this thing means death. Yeah. This creature. And so when it's that close to her and this is the character you're invested in and it's clear, it's just like, well, well, she's done for. Yeah. And then unlike, as we've spoken about in some Predator films, where it's like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, she'd be dead. Yeah. Or indeed at the end of Alien, where I'm like, well, that's a bit silly. She'd be dead. Yeah. You're left wondering, well, why isn't she dead? Yeah. And it's actually a really cool device in the story. One thing that's clear from, from this, his first film, is just the absolute mastery of the camera. That David Fincher has one thing that happens you'll you'll see it a lot in in a lot of films. If you shoot a person from a low angle, really what you're doing is empowering them. Yeah, you make beginning them. You make them look bigger. It's a way of giving that character power in the shot. In this film, because like in the first film, the sets are complete. Like they show you the ceiling a lot. Yes, they do. And that one thing- that- design of that centre of the prison with the higher levels and stuff is really cool. That's it. But then even in, even in like the mess hall and other, other settings in the film, a lot of the time it's shot from this low angle showing the ceiling above them. And rather than the characters feeling empowered, they just feel trapped. Yeah, it makes use of that claustrophobia. Because again, we're back in that, you know, typical alien film. It's that one- Tight location. Yeah. Like, it's we, we spoke, it's a prison movie. Yeah, <laughs> and we spoke about how cool the lighting is in the first film, how actually not particularly cool the lighting is yeah. in the second film. The lighting in Alien 3 kicks ass. Yeah. And it's just the general so colour palette. It's so different to the previous two films, which really rely on those heavy darks, blues, and, and that's a bold choice. Watching it at this point in time now, what it really reminds me of is the- 
the sequence in Blade Runner 2049, just that great looking sequence where Ryan Gosling is walking through the the contaminated landscape with this yeah. big orange wash and and it looks great. Yeah. The movie, one thing Fincher does, he makes a lot of bold choices and some of them work, some of them don't. It's a bold choice to just straight up kill Newt. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Later on in the film, we get, for lack of a better word, the redesign of the alien. Mm-hmm. Which I quite like. Like this, this, this xenomorph has spawned from a four-legged beast. To me, it doesn't feel like the the cheap, okay, it's the next film, we have to just go something bigger and better. Like, it just makes sense to me that yeah. this xenomorph gets around on I all know, fours. I know where you're coming from, from like a physiological, <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. but it still feels to me like it's that whole trying to one-up and, and it, it goes backwards for me because the design of this xenomorph is so poor compared to that original design. I really like this xenomorph. Really? Yeah, I dig I dig this xenomorph. For me it's 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 really really weak. It doesn't look threatening or scary to me like the the original does. Mm, I'm pretty scared of it. Um, <laughs> well, but you're a wuss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that at some point in the film there is a um like a, pr- a precursor shot to metal distressing under change of temperature. Yeah. Because this will this will then pay off when Alien 3 will be the only film where, like, we defeat the end boss not through blowing it out of an airlock. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get to this in in a later episode that could someone just have a different idea yeah. about, about beating these <laughs> things? Um, I think it's great in this movie that actually they do find a different way of doing it. The ending of this film gives me mad Terminator 2 vibes. <laughs> if only Ripley had given the thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, that's a really cool set design, that that whole sequence. Yeah. Very cool. One thing, this is, uh, I think this is, a for me, a fairly major strike, actually, against the film, is that in the finale of running around the, the facility- and we, we know they're trying to get the Xenomorph into a particular place so they can do this. But for me, the movie fails in actually giving us a sense of this space, where they are, where they're trying to go. I'm just looking at shots of people running. I have no idea where they're going, where they're coming from. I, I, I'm just not placed in that environment particularly well, I don't no, think. No, yeah, that's totally fair. And I think that actually ends up counteracting the feeling you're meant to get. That kind of claustrophobic feeling of this tiny prison is lost because all of a sudden it does feel like a huge, huge area. And yeah, you're right. Spatially, I can't place them together. And and it's funny, given that it is all the one environment, parts of this ship look so different to other parts of it that- you do. You lose that spatial connectedness of it, mm. which is it's rough. Yeah. We just spoke about the, I would say again, just another iconic moment of, of Ripley throwing herself into, what is it, molten something or other? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know, lava. <laughs> we'll I know it's it. not yeah, lava, but, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> into the Terminator 2 vat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think this is Sigourney Weaver's best outing as Ripley. I think Sigourney- is really pretty sensational in this film. She was she was Oscar nominated for Aliens, I think. Oh right. I think I I I'm happy to be corrected on that, but I think she was nominated for Aliens. I think Alien 3 
is where she absolutely shines as this character. See, I still feel like she's never really topped the heights of her performance in Alien. But I think so much of that is that, to me, that's the film where the character is the best written and most well-rounded. That I guess it's hard for me to say whether I think her performance is the best there. But I, for me, that is the ultimate Ripley. Yeah, I can't get enough of her in this film. <laughs> I think she's so good. I think her chemistry- I'm not just talking about the fact that they bang- her, no. her chemistry with Charles Dance, br- they're brilliant scene partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he- I feel like he could act with a mop and, <laughs> and have amazing chemistry because he is so- And it's not even like- he's not an overly good-looking dude, Charles Dance, but he's just got this, like, gravitas, <laughs> like- the seeds of the power of the Lannister yeah, is there. That's right. You can see how he ruled Restros, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The Lord of the Rock <laughs> is there. The Rock of Casterly, I believe. <laughs> Casterly Rock, what a name. Well done, George. <laughs> it's so clearly ripped off of Stephen King, right? Because all the Stephen King novels are set in Castle Rock. In Castle Rock. Castle Rock, May. Castle Rock Entertainment. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. It is too long. The assembly cut. There's a period of the film between when the characters we do know a bit start getting picked off by the Xenomorph. There is a section of this film where it does kind of lose its head up its own ass for a period. Yeah. And I don't- none of the scenes that I'm thinking of do I necessarily think are bad scenes- but there's just too many of them. Yeah. And at some point, it's like, okay, look, this isn't Space Odyssey. We need to get back to trying to kill this thing. Yeah. It also, you know, just while we're talking about the assembly cut, look, I think that the pros of watching the assembly cut far outweigh, you know, the I, I the negatives of, of just watching the regular cut. But- it isn't a fully finished film at times. There are times where, you know, for example, the later half of the film, there are full scenes where it's very hard to tell what people are saying because the sound of the generator is there so strong and they haven't been able to ADR the voices. So, you know, there are a couple of little technical things there, but I still think that if you're going to watch this movie, the assembly cut is probably the way to do it. Yes, I agree. Um, even though, And yeah, you've just got to- it, It'll be an eternal frustration for- I mean, it's probably a frustration for the many people who really dislike this film, that, yeah. that there isn't, in their eyes, a good version of this film. For people like the two of us, there's this great frustration that there's a there's a really, really good to, to even great film that's there, like it's trying to break free. Yeah. You can feel it, but it just can't quite escape the muck. And it's just a great shame that- the, in, in some ways, it's just a great shame that it's Finch's first film and that he didn't have the clout to just do what he has done ever since well, and just, say, and just been like, get fucked. Yeah, don't feel too bad for him, man, because he's Fincher. He, Look, he, he's, he landed on his feet. He's done all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but just, just for this film, which I- because I think there's a great film here yeah. that we didn't get. Um, we get a film that I do think is good and which I do actually really enjoy. But you, I, I can't help it when I'm watching it just to be going, uh, you just know it could be better. Look, I enjoy it, but let's not beat around the bush. This isn't as good as the first two. I'm giving this a six. I, I'm also a six, but I would stress that it's a strong six. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, does, it does get pulled down to a six because the flaws are there and they're, and they're very real. 
And I would say it's actually a testament to how good the good parts of this film are, in my opinion, that it is still- I'm still giving it a positive score despite what's wrong with it. Yeah. Alrighty. So, there we go. So, so far we've had a nine, a seven slash eight, and a six. Yeah. So- Well, now Ripley's dead. So, I guess that's- So, diminishing returns. Over. So, I guess we'll see what happens with Alien Resurrection <laughs> if the trend continues. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> before we before we get that though, should we check out another one of our drinking rules for AVP? Yes. All right. This one comes to us from our great mates Dan and Dean over at the Movie Journey Podcast. Uh, let's hear what they've got for us this time. Billy and Tofa. Hey guys, how are we? They can't hear you. I realise that. <laughs> I mean, they can they can hear me now. Like they are listening to me speak. Maybe they can't after being deafened by all this alien and predator nonsense they've been going through today. But if they haven't, I'm sure we can help them with this uh, rule for their drinking game. Imagine if this is a marathon that they're like, man, Alien vs. Predator. These are some good fucking films. <laughs> if they do, they're right into the cusp of it here with Alien vs. Predator 1 and 2, like the the peak of this big franchise they've got going here. They've done with the shit films of Alien and Aliens and Predator. They're into the good stuff with Alien I vs. Mean, Predator. This is like the Infinity War Endgame combo right here. Yeah, name a bigger crossover idea. <laughs> <laughs> what I think there might be in these films are a lot of deaths. Considering, oh, well, that's a big call. That's a big call, Hendo. The two big alien, like the alien and the predator, taking each other. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of human casualties along the way. So let's just go with any time someone dies. Do you mean human, or are you something, thinking any alien? Any time there is a death on screen, any death, there is going to be a drink to be had. Nice. So drink up, boys. Enjoy these last two films. Good luck. Hopefully, you come out on the other side of this still appreciating film. Okay, I feel like I feel like a lot of people die. Big focus of these films. Isn't there like an explosion at one point which kills like many, many, many people? I'm assuming we just drink once for that. I don't know. Or is that like a finish your drink situation? Yeah, like <laughs> if you were watching Pearl Harbor, <laughs> <laughs> just. Pour some out for your homies. Well, I am really glad that we- Because last time we did this, all the beer you brought over was in the the vein of 8% or so. We- <laughs> I made an error last time in the 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 beer I selected. Um, this time I've kept the beer under 6%. Yeah, this year I'll be drinking some Carlton Zero. <laughs> <laughs> we could have Heineken Zero. We can have- <laughs> There's a Budweiser zero, isn't there? Or a Let, pause let's zero? Just, let's just at least try and make sure that it's less than six. Let's yeah. have our aim as less than six. We'll, we'll keep the beer under 6%. <laughs> All right. Uh, shall we crack on and hit play on Resurrection? If we absolutely must. <laughs> let's do it. Wow, that's a bad film. That's the worst film <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, wait, that's not fair. It's better than Predator 2. It is better than Predator 2. Not by a lot. Forget that I'm talking about this film and just I'll, just- I'll just say this to you and you tell me what you think your reaction would be. We're in the mid to late 90s. I tell you that there is a film being directed by Jean-Pierre Junette, written by a Buffy-era Joss Whedon, shot by Darius Conji. My brain goes to, there's no way that's not good. Yeah. I would be wrong. Because that is the talent behind this film, and it stinks. Which is crazy. So, I either had completely forgotten or perhaps even never knew, but when the credit came up written by Joss Whedon, I 
was a bit shocked by that. I did not remember that. Um, so this would have been off the back of, yeah, as you say, Buffy, but also Toy Story for Joss. So he's developing a bit of a name. What the fuck happened here? <laughs> because, okay, not only, like, we've spoiled our feelings on this film. It's shit. <laughs> um, not, not only is it bad, the dialogue and the interplay between characters is devoid of the just the fun you would expect from this era, Joss Whedon. Yes. It's- it's just not there at all. Absolutely. Yeah. What's that about? Yeah, that's the thing. Like you think of Joss and not even just this era. Like think back to the Avengers. The reason they got Joss Whedon to do that is like you say the fun that he brings to a project, the great, you know, bringing together of a team, the the way that he characterizes and stuff. This has none of that. <laughs> <laughs> it does have Brad Dourif playing it will shock nobody, a bad guy. In, if, if you were charged with, it's like, if you don't succeed at this, something bad will happen to your kids. You have to come up with a movie where Brad Dourif plausibly plays a good guy. Okay. He's, he's on death row, accused of being a bad guy, and for the whole movie, you think that he is until the end when you find out that he didn't do it. No, I don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, I, I'm sh- I bet he's just a ripping bloke. I'm sure. I bet he's like the nicest guy because, damn, that guy just reeks of evil on screen. <laughs> All right, Alien Resurrection is a 1997 American science fiction horror film directed by, as you said, Jean Pierre Jeunette, written by Joss Whedon and starring Sigourney Weaver and Winona Ryder. We haven't mentioned yet, and shan't again. <laughs> now, okay, are you? A Winona head. Are you are you into the Winona? Certainly never thought of myself as being <laughs> as such. <laughs> and this film be no exception, because she is one of the worst things in this film. I don't think she's any worse than everything else going on. <laughs> well, that, yeah, okay, that's fair. Like, in, in fairness to Winona, yeah, she's just at the level of this <laughs> film. So, let's talk about- I mean, oh fuck! Where do we even start? Okay, so let's let's start with Ripley. Ripley's back. Oh, so we've got effectively we've got a zombie version of Ripley, and that's kind of how she plods through this film. It's a just a, as as I said last time. I love Ripley in Alien Three. Yeah, like she's fantastic. In this, she's just this lifeless yes copy of it. No, Okay, you could come up with an argument that, well, she is a lifeless copy of Ripley. That doesn't make it any better to watch. And I don't feel like that plays enough because you either are or you aren't. She has too much personality here to be, as you say, like a mindless clone. She's not the same as the other clones. When she goes into that room, arguably the only good scene in this film. Agreed. Where she finds the other clones and there's a girl, (laughs) man. And those clones aren't human. This Ripley is far too human to not just be Ripley. Like, it it doesn't track for me. She either needs to be literally a zombie or she just needs to be Ripley and it's a perfect clone. You can't- it just doesn't compute. Yeah, just bad. Since when does Xenomorphs roar? Yeah. <laughs> What's that about? This And this is another film where it gets even worse in- I brought it up last time. I brought it up a few times now. The whole bigger and better, let's redesign the Xenomorph thing. Fucking why? This is the worst design. 
like, this is just a terribly designed movie monster, this one. Like, what's with the eyes? And, like, it just doesn't look good. I don't even mind the underwater stuff. Oh, see, that? Yeah, I brought that up at the time we were watching, and you were like, well, it's the perfect organism. And I'm like, okay, sure, Sure, maybe. Surely the perfect organism can swim. I guess, but there's been no indication that the planet it's from has water, that we've never seen it interact with water before. But it just hasn't had the chance. I just don't buy that it would be able to swim so fast and so well. There is so many different parts to that that I'm like, I get that it's the quote unquote perfect organism, but that still doesn't track for me. Yeah, I'm I'm weirdly not bothered by that. I just found the whole water scenes in general in this film strange. Like, Yeah, I don't think it's a good sequence, but no. then again, I, I don't think it's worse than the sequence before it or the sequence after it. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, what a deeply unenjoyable film. It does, like I said, it's the cinematographer's Darius Conji. People would know him from things like Seven, which he shot not too long before this in a kind of fun David Fincher alien tie-in. Um, and- the, the look of the- other than some- there's some effects that, yeah, I'm not really here for. In general, the look of the film- I don't- like, it's not going on Darius Conji's Mount Rushmore, but in general, it's, it's a fine-looking film. Yeah, again, look, uh, let's, let's give it some credit where credit's due. I think the production design of the film isn't bad for the most part. I think the redesign of the Xenomorph is terrible. I think the look of the set and I think the colour palette and lighting and stuff in this film aren't bad. Yep. And that's where our praise for the film <laughs> ends. <laughs> um, yeah, so Ripley's back. She's a clone. Does she cut an alien out of her belly? She's got xenomorph DNA something something. <laughs> deeply forgettable. Like we just watched it. We just watched it. Um, um and Winona- She was she was pound- She's like banging a door in at one point, like getting away from a xenomorph that's banging a door in to get in. And it was- We were kind of at the same point trying to claw our way out of the viewing room here. <laughs> Very- We were quite in sync with the film at that point. We were just like, let me out. I want out, man. Like, like Neo when he wakes up. I want out. Um- and so the chemistry between Winona and her crew. So because really you've got you've got the two crews here. You've got the bad crew where Sigourney is, and then you've got what is meant to be, I guess, the fun crew where Winona is, and that these crews kind of meet. The problem is that none of these crews are any good. Yeah, um, they're stunning all very forgettable. Even, even yeah, like even Ron Perlman, stunningly. Yeah, don't care about Ron Perlman in this film. No, nah, he doesn't have horns. Why would I care? <laughs> Uh, and he just when oh, I'm I'm just trying to get the timeline right. I suspect he had already worked with Jean Pierre Jeunet in City of Lost Children. I think that was before. Yeah, that was this. before this. Yeah. yeah, that was '95. Right, back when he was man, he was he was ripped in that film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Perlman's back, being less interesting than Perlman normally is. Yeah, and we're known as meant to be playing like almost like a a slave, like a ship slave, <laughs> like a robot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, so you weren't you weren't like, oh wow, that's a sick reveal when we f- when we find out she's a a, a replic not a replicant. It's not Blade <laughs> yeah, Runner. Yeah, you're going Blade Runner. What are they? What are they? I think synth- androids, synthetic? aren't they? Oh, synthetic? synthetic. Yeah, maybe that makes sense. Uh, you didn't care. Didn't don't care. care. Don't care. Don't care. Don't care. 
Honestly, this is one of those times where I have so little to say about this film. I'm glad that this is a double episode where we're also talked about another film because this would not make a, an interesting episode on its own. Because all I'm going to tell you is this is a bad movie. Stay it's away an from abs- it. It's an absolute dog. And it's worse. I had pretty poor memories of this film. Yeah. It turned out I was being generous, though. I am so deeply uninterested in this film. Did you see this one at the theatres? I reckon I did. It seems like you would have around this time. If I if if not, I would have seen it like as an as a new release on on VHS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I miss VHS. <laughs> um, let, let me let me bring up another horrible thing about this film. <laughs> we obviously we, we we keep saying it. There's the need to go bigger and better. In this film, we have an alien queen, but we don't we don't stop there. We have it's never called this, but. It's not hard to imagine it as being, we've had the alien queen, now we're getting the alien king. Yeah. This is why we needed Ripley. Yeah. This is the offspring that, as they maybe imagine it, this is what we've been working towards this whole time. This thing's not born of an egg via a face hug or anything. The alien queen actually gives birth to this thing. And it's like, this is going to fucking rip. This thing is as bad as the movie's been up to this point. Yeah. This is surely going to be awesome. That thing is putrid. As I said earlier, worst design ever. It's just a terribly designed creature. It's awful. It looks <laughs> like it's not as bad as Predator in how soft and, and friendly it looks, but it certainly doesn't look threatening at all. Not at all, but it just looks like I don't it's like it cuz it looks like it's on stilts. Yeah, and it's because it's it's then like top heavy and the weird looks like, eyes. The it looks like it just be knocked over by a stiff breeze. Yeah, it's got that stupid little upturned nose. Yeah, the nose. It's like a little ski nose, <laughs> and then it starts. It makes whimpery little noises. I'm like, what is this? Well, that's the thing because I guess in their head they're like, okay, sure, this this is like the king, but it's also just been born. So maybe in their head they're like, well, it needs to to be infantile in some way. But what's the point in that? What a stupid thing. It's pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. And then how will we beat this thing, Billy, in an alien film? <laughs> Wait, let me guess. You know, open the airlock. <laughs> it's going to get sucked <laughs> into space. And somehow nothing else will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just dreadful. Here's the thing that I feel about the xenomorph and the alien and the getting sucked into space thing as well. This is the perfect organism. Why are we not to believe that it could survive the vacuum of space? I mean, hell, it can swim. It can swim. (laughs) And honestly, on its planet, how is swimming any different to the vacuum of space? I argue that there is no reason to believe that it would not be able to survive. Like, it is the perfect organism. Why couldn't it? It just seems stupid. <laughs> I, like, I half expect it to shoot little jetpacks out of its feet and just come back towards them. Like like, like the stories of William Wallace in Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not here for, for little baby pathetic xenomorph. Oh, get in the bin. This movie's bad. This movie's bad. It's better than Predator 2 because at least it's- somewhat coherent. I'm giving it a two. I'll I'll stretch to a three. I'm not even sure why. There's like one good scene. Um yeah, look, not a good film. So the original of this was on Earth, I read. Yeah. 
I feel like that might have maybe been more interesting. It's hard to think of anything less interesting. <laughs> it's true. Like, there's just so- <laughs> There's just no tension in this film. Yeah. Just- It just blows. It really, really does. All right. Crap film. Crap. Shall we get into- uh, I mean, I guess we're heading to prequel territory now. Should we should we get on to Prometheus? Sure, let's start apologizing for that film. <laughs> <laughs> Are you showing your cards early, mate? We haven't pressed play yet. I've uh I've blown my wad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm I'm with you on that one. <laughs> All right. Let's go hit play on that. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all on the handle at wewatchthething. I've said this too many times today. It won't affect you guys. You'll hear it week after week, but I've said it a lot today. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchthething. And we will catch you next week with Prometheus. Rawr. Rawr. <laughs> <laughs>